drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music and mayhem, fearful fiction and furious fact, tall tales and terrible truths. This is A Scary Home Companion. A Scary Home Companion comes to you from deep in the heart of Florida, the weirdest goddamn place in the world. You know Florida from the headlines. You read about Florida Man all the time while you're waiting in line for groceries. Thanks to our Sunshine State laws, the police blotter reports, for every freak, geek, psycho, and scallywag or public record. But the insanity that is Florida has much deeper roots than that. Take, for example, the legend of the faceless bishop. According to this, there is a curse on the state of Florida and the people that invaded it and took it from the native residents. This curse was uttered with the final dying breath of a shaman whose face had been flayed from his skull while he still lived. He was called Hona Paola by the Tequesta Indians, but now he is better known as the Faceless Bishop. This shaman did not take kindly to the incursion of Spanish missionaries. They were trying to convert his people. He did not like this. He started calling himself the bishop and, and mocking these white invaders by wearing a plain white face paint. The missionaries called them the savages, and yet these were people that claimed to eat the flesh and drink the blood of their savior every week. Who were the real savages? Said missionaries did not take kindly to this sacrilege. Said missionaries had some of their military pals pay the bishop a visit. They skinned his face and hung him from a tree on the edge of the swamp. There, as he died, he pledged to spend eternity haunting the land with his shadow self. He would prey on the weak-minded, the drunk, and the foolish, filling them with a madness and savage violence that would make these invaders of Florida turn on one another. This legend is very localized to South Florida, which is the only home to a major population of Tequesta Indians. And the only reason I ever heard about it was a couple of years ago after that last face-eating attack. I saw a few people posting on social media from Miami, and they made jokes blaming the attack on the curse of the faceless bishop. This is just one of many incredible stories that come from the history of Florida and our many Native American tribes here. The Seminole had the Stikini, sinister witches and monsters that every night would vomit up their souls and all their entrails as they turned into owls and flew off into the night to hunt prey. The Choctaw, in their mythology, one of their boogeymen was called the Nalusa Falaya, roughly translated, the long black being. 
usually described as tall and spindly, a humanoid and not too far off from the slender man. It was said to sometimes slither around like a snake on his belly, or to melt into the form of a shadow at sunset. This boogeyman lurks in the long shadows around dusk, frightening children, and occasionally bewitching hunters who have become incautious. The Oka Nahula, or the white people of the water, lived in deep pools and on riverbeds. They had light, trout-like skin, and only came to the surface to prey on humans and drag them down to the riverbed, transform them into people like themselves. But personally, my favorite Florida legend of them all is the Champe. It's what the Choctaw called them. The Chickasaw called them the Lofa. The Northwest Coast Indians called them Stick Indians. The Bellacula called them Bogs. In English, it's been called the Stink Ape, the Swamp Ape, the Bayou Bigfoot, personal favorite, Swamp Cabbage Man, but probably best known as the Skunk Ape. The Champe is a malevolent, ogre-like Bigfoot of a monster. In some legends, the Champe is a man-eater. In others, he's a abductor of women and children. He's always described as a, as a giant covered in brown or black fur between seven and eight feet tall. His most salient feature, of course, is that pungent smell. The smell of the Champe is so overpowering that a person cannot bear to be around it, nonetheless fight it. But what is it that makes the skunk ape so damn special? Well, of all the legends we discuss here tonight, they're they're just legends. They're stories, they're tall tales, myths, flights of fancy. But I know I can tell you, I can assure you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the following story is absolutely true. I may not be able to prove it in the court of law or laboratory of science, but I can attest to the fact that the skunk ape is very real. Before I start down that rabbit hole, let me pour myself fresh whiskey. was the voice of Carter James on the last night he was ever seen. The story of Mr. James is little known, uh, 
mystery that has yet to be solved. He is, by all accounts, a normal man, a construction worker, new in town, single. He lived quietly with his dog and had no criminal record to speak of. And then one night, inexplicably, he went insane. It all started with a panicked call to my guest, Dr. Andrew Berg. Dr. Berg, thank you for letting me share your story. Hey, Marianne. Thanks for sharing this with your listeners. It's been a couple of years, but I still think about them. Tell us how it started. Well, one night I was working overnight in the intensive care unit, the ICU, the Gainesville VA where I work. And I got this voicemail from my neighbor who said that his dog was having seizures or something. And he really needed the number to the closest animal ER. Hey man, I hate to be a bother, uh, but do you know any open vet emergency rooms or someplace like that? Something's going on with my dog. Uh, she's having a seizure or she's convulsing or something. Her eyes look really, really weird. Uh, just get back at me, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. I like the dog. I'd met him a few times, so I wanted to help him. I looked up the number to the University of Florida Small Animal Hospital ER that's open 24-7, and I called him back and gave it to him. This was like 1.30 in the morning or so, so it really did seem like an emergency. So after that, I got a phone call from him at like 2 o'clock, but I missed the call, and he left me a voicemail. Hey man, I appreciate that info, uh, but I ended up not needing the ER after all. Seems like uh, she's doing okay right now. Uh, but listen, uh, about your friends, you got, you got to get them off the roof, dude. It's not safe for them up there. And I think there's a couple of them in the backyard, too. They're kids, maybe, but it's hard to get a look at them. But I'm just not comfortable with them being where they're at. So if you could do something about that, I'd appreciate it. Thanks, man. Did you know who these friends were? Absolutely not. I didn't have any friends over. In fact, not many friends had been to that house. I had just moved there. So it clearly wasn't anyone I knew. The only person that was at my house was my girlfriend and our two dogs. She gets really freaked out at home alone when I work overnight. So I didn't want to call her, wake her up and scare her. Because I called, tried to call him back. I just had to keep leaving messages. He eventually did call me back and said he had been talking to me on the other line. It's really weird. That does sound odd. So, you know, at this point, I decided it was best to just leave work and just kind of go check it out. Because, like I said, my girlfriend was home alone, and you know, I didn't want her to be in trouble. So, by the time I got home, I had a few more voicemails. Hey, your friends are in my kitchen playing with knives. Uh, I guess it's not a big deal or anything, but they might cut themselves. You, you gotta tell them to knock it off. Okay? And please, they, they gotta stop leaving the door open too. Okay? Uh, bye, man. And what did you find when you got home? Nothing. House was still locked up and quiet. My girlfriend was asleep. I tried calling Carter a few times, but it just went to his voicemail. So I went over to the fence and kind of peeked over. And I see him leaning out of his back window with a flashlight. And I see his dog next to him, which was obviously weird because of the first phone call I got. But I just didn't even really think about it at the time. 
anyway, he had this flashlight and he was shining it up at his roof. And he was telling me that my friends were up there. I just kept thinking, like, why does this guy think those are my friends? And, you know, I asked him, why do you think I know these people? And he said, because that man told me. And I didn't see anybody. He just kind of kept pointing around. We walked around the yard a little bit, and, you know, he came out to show me where he had seen people. He said that people were running through my yard, standing on top of a car that's parked in my yard, and all this other stuff that just didn't really seemed to make any sense. I mean, the car he was talking about had a canvas roof, so if someone tried to stand on it, they'd fall right through it. But anyway, we decided to you know, look around a little bit. He shone the flashlight. He just kept saying that he saw people, but there was never anybody there. It's very strange. So I eventually decided to go back to work. You went back to work. Um, weren't you worried about your girlfriend? I mean, yeah, you know, but the house was locked up. Cars were all locked. There was nothing strange going on except for Carter's behavior, but I didn't really think it was dangerous. I was just kind of worried about him. So when I left to go back to work, I called the police on the the non-emergency line, <clears throat> and I asked if they could you know, just ride around the neighborhood for a minute and just check it out, make sure there's nothing weird going on, and to look into my neighbor and told him I was a little worried about him. I just couldn't skip out of work any longer just because my neighbor got too high, you know? Scary Home Companion is brought to you by Echo River, the indie horror movie filmed on location in the haunted heart of a sinister swamp in Florida on the banks of the Suwannee River. The Echo River movie trailer, available on YouTube. By now it's 4 a.m., you've just come out of ICU, and you check your phone, and you find this series of escalating messages. What are your first thoughts? Well, at that point, something had definitely changed. I could definitely hear it in his voice. So I ran out of there, and I went straight home, because I was a little worried. I tried calling him, but it just kept going to voicemail. I tried calling my girlfriend, and she didn't answer. I tried the cops again, and they said I should just stay on the line and just make sure that everything was okay when I got home. When I got there, everything looked quiet. I didn't see Carter. I didn't see any cops. The house was dark. But the weird part was the front door was wide open. And I was standing there looking at that open door when I got the last voicemail.
that the young woman was alive, unharmed, and still asleep inside of the house. Police had received multiple reports of a naked man waving a hockey stick in the neighborhood. Other than the voice message, there was no evidence that Carter ever went inside the house. Right, nothing. I mean, there was no noise. My girlfriend would have woken up if he had been in there, I think. I don't know, maybe there was just nothing going on. I'm, I'm not sure. It is weird, though. She did tell me about this dream she had that night. She said there was this strange man that didn't appear to have a face, whatever that means. And he was bent over her and singing. And what happened when you confronted your neighbor, Carter? Well, I actually never got to confront him. He wasn't there the next day or the night or the next day after that. I mean, I just literally never saw the guy again. I kept trying to text him, but it never said delivered on the little text message thing. And I called him several times, just going straight to voicemail. You know, we used to see his dog out in the yard playing all the time, but never saw the dog again. Never heard a single bark. Eventually, probably uh, a week or two later, I, I peeked inside the window just to see if there was anything going on. But the whole house was empty. Every piece of furniture in there was gone. I remember checking Gainesville mugshots to see if he had been arrested because I was worried about him. You know, sometimes a bad night can end a lot of people's careers. But he wasn't there. And none of my friends in any of the hospitals knew anything about him getting admitted for any kind of psychotic break or trauma. So I don't know. It's, it's like he just vanished into thin air. That was years ago. Three, four, maybe five. I haven't seen him since. want to hear from you. If you'd like to be a featured musical guest, or if you have a scary story you'd like to share with the world, reach out to us at ascaryhomecompanion at gmail.com. It was the summer of 1984. This was my first summer living in Florida since moving down from the Oregon coast. I'll always remember it as the summer of the skunk ape. It was, it was an, it was an adventure. The sort of venture you can only have in an, in a new place where everything is fresh. I had been raised on the Oregon coast in the heart of logging country, the Pacific Northwest. Now I was living in Florida, mosquito infested swampland. The town was, called Port St. Lucie. It was still growing. Now it's fairly substantial. At the time, it was a retirement community that had accidentally turned into a town. I'd moved down with my family. I was 11 years old. Finished up that year of grade school. Entered into the summer. 
spent most of my time outside running around with the neighborhood kids. This was 1984. This was pre-internet. And the video game systems we did have just weren't that great. I remember the, the Balchunas brothers. Dave, Andy, whose nickname was Bebo for some reason. Um, my best buddy was this kid named Carlos. Carlos was the son of some Cuban expatriates who were fiercely American and fiercely conservative in the way that only ex-Cubans can be. Carlos and I spent the most time together. We were both awkward outsiders, each for our own reasons. One of the things we bonded over, strangely enough, was the old Leonard Nimoy show, In Search Of. Every week, the ex-Star Trek guy would do a half-fake documentary going into the Bermuda Triangle or UFOs or Bigfoot. It was really sweet. This was in the forefront of the minds of me and Carlos when neighborhood pets started turning up missing. A lot of neighborhood pets started turning up missing. So many pets went missing, it, it actually ended up in the newspaper. Dozens of dogs and cats from the surrounding neighborhoods just vanishing. With all of these pets going missing, naturally it caught the curiosity of me and Carlos both. We decided we were going to start our own investigation and go in search of all of these missing pets. Thanks to Carlos's grandmother, his uh, abuela, I guess she was, we started looking in the direction of the skunk ape. She didn't speak English, I didn't speak Spanish. So I didn't know for sure what she was saying. But one night, she told Carlos that she'd seen a giant hairy man stealing oranges off the tree in their fenced-in backyard. It was true that all the oranges had been plucked from the tree, but uh, she was a crazy old lady. No one paid her much mind. But Carlos did. And that's where we got the idea to look into the skunk ape. We raised money. Carlos and me, by mowing yards mostly, we got 10, 15 bucks a pop. It wasn't much, but we decided to funnel all of our funds. I know this sounds disgusting, but we went up to the Winn-Dixie on our bikes and bought offal and guts and liver, uh, whatever the cheapest cuts were at the butcher shop. We decided we were going to bait our backyard. If Whatever this thing was, if it actually was a thing, if it was taking pets to eat them, then leaving meat out, easy meat, would be a great way to draw this thing into the open. So we baited our backyards, and we waited, and we waited, night after night, after night after night, but nothing ever came. And after a while, after a few nights, I mean, I'm 11 it just gets boring. You find something to watch on TV, you lose interest. I think that I remember waking up in the middle of the night one night, smelling something rotten, thinking the sewage had backed up. The next morning, the bait was gone. That sort of re-provoked our interest. But we baited the yards again. It just didn't work. We had to be more proactive, especially since we're getting very deep into the summer at this point. We're running out of time. 
We want to find the skunk ape is real. We thought maybe we should start looking for him. And this was my contribution to the whole summer, was the idea that if the skunk ape was real, if he had been forced out of his natural habitat, the swamp, by the incursion of Port St. Lucie's population boom, it would have to go somewhere where it wouldn't be found, and the only place that a skunk ape wouldn't be noticed would be the city dump. So I convinced Carlos, on my logic, to ride our bikes out to the city dump to look for the skunk ape. You would think that the cacophony of evil odors in the dump would be overpowering, and it truly is. But something about the skunk ape is worse even than the smell of rotting garbage. It took us about an hour of crawling over unforgettably feeded heaps of rotting diapers and coffee grounds. Fruit. Ugh. But then we found it. We found an opening. It was a little cave, a little enclosure that had been dug out, obviously, by hand into the bottom of one of these heaps of garbage. Inside, there was a little, I don't know if I could even call it a pallet. Obviously, something had been sleeping in it. It didn't look like a bed of any sort. Most haunting of all, there was, I want to say, artwork? They were wire hangers that had been strung with the collars of cats and dogs, particularly the ones with bells. It was almost like a wind chime made of pet collars. There were dozens of pet collars, and there were dozens more skeletons. This thing had been eating a lot of animals. Smell was overpowering. I actually took off my bad-to-the-bone t-shirt. I actually had a t-shirt that said bad-to-the-bone. I bought it at Kmart, I remember. I held it over my mouth to keep from throwing up because this was just so goddamn interesting. This thing had been killing and eating animals and saving their collars and making shit out of them. Like, what is this? We didn't get attacked by anything. We just left. After we looked around for long enough, you know, this was 1984. There were no cell phones. I wish we could have got footage. We didn't. But we did go right home. I did talk to my parents we called the police. We went out there. And it was determined that there was some sort of scary homeless guy that had taken up residence in the dump. We knew it was the skunk ape. But our parents and the authorities thought that it was a homeless guy. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe they were right. And then, two mornings later, I wake up. Something smells kind of bad. I look over at my window and I see a handprint on the outside of the glass. It's mud or feces mixed with blood. I don't know. It's dark maroon brown color. This handprint. It's huge. I measured it. It's 13 inches from the tip of the middle finger to the base of the palm. 13 inches long. This handprint on the outside of the window. And it was the skunk ape. I had found him, but he'd also, I guess, been watching me. After that, I stopped looking, quite frankly. I didn't go back to the dump or continue to look for the skunk ape in any way. Why the hell would I? Whatever this thing was, 
It was evolved enough to make art out of its victims, and it was smart enough to follow me back. Like I said, I could never prove it in a court of law, but I know for goddamn sure the skunk ape is real. Florida may be a freaky place, but this is just the nature of the state. We've, we've always been this way. So the next time one of us Floridians goes completely off the rails and chews someone's face right off their skull, don't blame the bath salts. Maybe it's the faceless bishop or the champagne or one of the other dozens of demonic entities that prowl the state of Florida. Hey, thanks for listening to A Scary Home Companion. A Scary Home Companion is written and directed by Nathaniel Hensley. Today's episode was edited and produced by myself, Carl Offenberg. Special thanks to Jeff Davidson for playing the part of Carter James and Andy Hendrickson for playing the part of Dr. Berg. Our interviewer, Marianne, was played, as always, by the wonderful Jamie Hensley. Our opening music was graciously recorded for us by Chelsea Oxendine. You can find more of her music at YouTube on the channel Chowson. That's C-H-A-L-S-E-N. The music throughout the rest of our episode was sent in to us by the very talented Daniel Lilly. Thanks, Daniel, for listening and reaching out. If you'd like your music or one of your own spooky stories featured, let us know at a scary home companion at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and if you like what you heard, be sure to smash that subscribe button.